You are listening to U of M Radio on your Historic Dial podcast. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. Hello, this is Rebecca, here to share another historic broadcast from the archives in continuation of the Season 3 theme, Women on the Air. On this episode, I'll introduce the KUOM program series, People Worth Hearing About, which aired on the Minnesota School of the Air from 1969 to 1979. The series, written and produced for school children in grades 4 through 6, was intended to promote cultural understanding. We'll listen to a broadcast from the 1970s that features a notable woman in Minnesota history. And I'll also share some correspondence from School of the Air director Betty Gerling and a scriptwriter, Michelle Carnes, that provides insight into the production of educational radio programs. The idea for the program series People Worth Hearing About originated with the Minnesota School of the Air director Betty Gerling. The series, which first aired from April 7th to May 23rd, 1969, featured daily 10-minute vignettes on 35 African Americans, selected in consultation with Morris W. Britz, coordinator for human relations at Minneapolis Public Schools. In subsequent years, profiles and interviews with American Indians, Asian Americans, Chicanos, Eskimos, Hawaiians, and women were added to the series. In a guide produced for teachers as a supplement to the program, Girling outlined the purpose of the series. We try to introduce students and teachers to outstanding Americans who are rarely, if ever, mentioned in usual textbooks. These Americans have, for the most part, been overlooked in the writings of our history because they were non-white or non-male. People Worth Hearing About attempts to bring the names, personalities, problems, and accomplishments of these outstanding overlooked Americans, living and dead, into thousands of classrooms via radio and tape. In the 1971-1972 season, a unit devoted specifically to women was included for the first time. Eight women were selected as subjects for the episodes. Examples include Jeanette Rankin, the first woman elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, women's rights advocate Susan B. Anthony, and Mariah Sanford, the first female professor at the University of Minnesota. Girling introduced the section on women in the Teacher's Guide. Dear Teacher, in America, women struggle for equality of citizenship, the right of self-determination, the right to vote, own property, and receive equal pay for equal work has a history over 100 years long. And it still continues. Few American school children ever have the opportunity to learn of the tremendous contributions women have made to our nation, because these contributions are either omitted entirely in our textbooks or treated in an abbreviated fashion, minimized out of proportion to their true value. While inequalities are slowly being corrected in texts and school materials, in laws and ordinances, in public custom and private behavior, true equality is still a too distant goal. To speed progress toward that goal, this year's People Worth Hearing About presents the life stories of eight women whose contributions have fundamentally affected the course of our history and institutions. The life story of Mariah Sanford, professor of rhetoric and elocution at the University of Minnesota from 1880 to 1909, public lecturer and educator, was presented to radio listeners on April 21, 1972. Let's hear about this outstanding American woman. Bright morning stars are rising. Bright morning stars are rising. KUOM presents People Worth Hearing About, 
10 minutes spotlighting the lives and ideas of outstanding American women. In 1879, at the age of 43, Mariah Sanford left her job at Quaker College in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, and came to the University of Minnesota. Years later, University President Falwell declared that he was proud of having discovered Miss Sanford. Students throughout her 64 years of teaching recall their experiences with her vividly. Especially they recall her sunrise classes at the University of Minnesota. Only the best students were invited to these classes. Some would rise before dawn and walk in the cold for miles in order to have the honor of Miss Sanford's sunrise class. Doubtless, the stimulating nature of a class of bright students headed by Miss Sanford made up for the difficulty of getting there. But in her memoirs, Mariah Sanford recalls the one morning her students playfully rebelled. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, students. Good morning. Today we have speeches from Annette and Nancy and a recitation from Frank. Now, since we are concentrating this week on audience control... Uh, Miss Sanford? Uh, yes, Howard? Well, Miss Sanford, we've prepared a surprise for you. Oh? Well, what is it, Howard? Well, we have a poem by John G. Saxon we want to recite. Lynn is going to start. <laughs> God bless the man who first invented sleep. So Sancho Panza said, and so say I. <laughs> and bless him also that he didn't keep his great discovery to himself, nor try to make it, as the lucky fellow might, a close monopoly by patent right. <laughs> yes, bless the man who first invented sleep. Well, I really can't avoid the interation. But blast the man with curses loud and deep, whate'er the rascal's name or age or station, who first invented and went around advising that artificial cut-off early rising. Yes, bless the man who first invented sleep. It seems that I'm somehow repeating. To leave Swarthmore at the age of 43 was no easy task, but Mariah Sanford was no stranger to challenges. Born on December 19, 1836, in Saybrook, Connecticut, she was the third child in a family of four. For nine years, she was the youngest, an alert, eager child, interested in all around her. When her brother Rufus was born in 1846, the nine-year-old Mariah adopted him as her special charge. Even then, education was important to her. Besides teaching her brother all she knew, she attended a nearby country school and read the Bible exhaustively. When she was 14, her family moved to Meriden, Connecticut, and she began to attend the Meriden Academy. Besides her unusual thirst for knowledge, the child Mariah was distinguished by an extraordinary unselfishness. A relative recorded the following incident. Her small brother Rufus had always noticed that his sister, when taking from a dish of apples, 
reached for the one with decayed spots. He therefore supposed she liked them best. And so one day, when he went to a neighbor's house on an errand, and the woman asked him if he thought his family might like some apples that had begun to decay, Rufus replied at once, Oh, yes, I am sure we can use them, for Mariah loves rotten apples. When she was sixteen, Mariah asked her parents if she might use the money they had saved for her marriage for an education at the Britain Normal School. This was an unusual request for a girl during the 1800s. Education for women was generally regarded as unimportant, but Mariah's parents granted her request, and they were never sorry. Graduating with honors at the age of 19, Mariah Sanford so impressed the school's principal, John D. Philbrick, that he was later to say of her, Mariah Sanford had uncommon energy and vigor and was conspicuous for industry, fidelity, and earnestness. What her hands found to do, she did with all her might. Finishing her education, Miss Sanford started her career of teaching. In a country school at Gilead, 40 miles from her home, she began to teach at a salary of $10 a month. Her first triumph came when a county superintendent came to Gilead to observe her teaching. He sat all afternoon saying nothing, then left, still saying nothing. But in a meeting later that day, he told her, I have been watching your children all the afternoon. You said nothing. Each one seemed to be doing exactly as he wanted to do, and each one wanted to do right. After teaching in Gilead, Miss Sanford went on to teach at Middlefield and New Haven, Connecticut, then at Parkersville, Westchester, and Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, and finally at the University of Minnesota. She left behind her a trail of admiring, capable, and influential students, such as the doctor who wrote to a friend, My brother tells me that Mariah L. Sanford will be in Westchester soon. As an original pupil of Miss Sanford, I am very anxious to meet her again. Forty-two years ago, she taught at Parkersville. It has always been a recollection of joy when I think of that time, as she did more to create in me the love of knowledge than any teacher that I had the pleasure to know. And although public speaking for women during the 1800s was generally frowned upon, Miss Sanford also influenced people by her lectures. Her dignity, earnestness, and enthusiasm, coupled with a strong and flexible voice, to fill every heart with love for all that is good and true, to kindle the soul with a longing for a noble life, to urge the individual toward accomplishment, to urge the student to do something steadily. Forty years of studying birds, we should ever be seeking to grow in the direction of all good. On April 21st, 1919, Mariah Sanford died, but not without having had a profound effect on the lives of thousands. The respect felt by those who knew this remarkable woman, first woman professor at the University of Minnesota, is ever evident. Evident in Sanford Hall, named in memory of her, 
and in the tributes paid to her by hundreds of former students. Tributes such as the poem, In Memory of Mariah L. Sanford. Thrice blessed those whose privilege it was to call her teacher in that former time. But happy all who from her lips have learned the dignity of toil, her simple creed sublime. People Worth Hearing About is a presentation of the Minnesota School of the Air. I have to admit that when I first heard this broadcast, I was a bit puzzled. I thought of all the details of Mariah's life that the broadcast never mentioned. The story of her contributions to the university, her community, the state of Minnesota and beyond could fill an entire season of this podcast. What about her involvement with civic improvement for the city of Minneapolis, her highly regarded public speeches, and her work with the American Indian community? While reading through correspondence in the Betty Gerling papers at University Archives, I was introduced to the particulars of production for the People Worth Hearing About series, and learn the reason why certain details about Mariah, which I thought important, were not included in the broadcast. I was also reminded that I did not fit within the demographic of the intended program audience. In an April 7, 1970 memo to scriptwriter Michelle Cairns, Betty Gerling revealed that the production for people worth hearing about was on a tight schedule. This week and next are Armageddon weeks. You have every right to be uptight, and I'm afraid I can't manage a relaxed calm, which would provide the kind of atmosphere in which you can work. Girling voiced concern regarding the availability of actors to record scripted voices for episodes scheduled to air the week of April 13th through 17th. In addition, Girling emphasized the need for a script that day in order to get copies to staff members involved with the production. She said, I really have to have the water script today because we have to special delivery a copy to Irv so he has it tomorrow morning and can come to the studios during his lunch hour to set up production. No producer can hit a script cold without preparation and he quite vehemently hates to. On Tuesdays, I have to leave at 3.30 but I will leave word with Joyce to send him the script when she leaves, okay? We can Xerox him a copy. We might have to even, if it were done by noon because it seems Joyce's typewriter writer has momentarily died. Due to production requirements, Gerling indicated to Cairns that the scripts for episodes profiling writer Frank Yerby and artist Henry Osawa Tanner were needed by that Friday in order to record on Saturday in time for broadcasts on April 13th and 14th. As a result, Gerling advised to keep the program simple and to think of the audience. She said, the Yerby and Tanner shows necessarily must be very simple, practically speaking, because there will be absolutely no editing time. What is recorded on Saturday goes on the air Monday and Tuesday. 
Maybe this means just using a narrator with the author reading short snatches from his works to give flavor. Remember, these kids are nine years old and have never read any novel, let alone an historical one. It seems to me here, or in any show where the meat of the person's life is so very familiar from the child's experience, it might be wiser to alter our goal of giving the life story to saying, here is a person who is really great as a writer or whatever. Better the child should remember the name Yerby or Tanner than that he should get turned off completely by material he or she does not understand. Betty continued the memo with additional advice on writing for radio on a deadline. I know it denies a writer's highest moral, but Michelle, in non-print media like radio, more important than word is time. Honey, we haven't time for you to read books on these people. Now we have to wing it, get two to three biographical sketches, a highlight or two, the flavor of the work, and then sell the name. Girling referenced the script Cairns was then writing for an upcoming episode about gospel singer Mahalia Jackson, which aired on April 17, 1970. It is cumbersome, but when we have only maybe eight minutes to vignette a person, we almost have to say in an opening narration, preferably short, this is the story of a great singer. Her name is Mahalia Jackson. Maybe you've heard her sing. She has always liked singing. Why, years ago, even as a child, when she lived with her Aunt Duke, even then she was in love with music. Girling closed the memo with a few final tips. If a child knew before what he is going to hear, I think there is less jeopardy in the situation for him. Also, if he knows what to listen for, he'll get more out of it. For now, when possible, keep the sentences short and try for the picture-in-the-mind kind of description. Similes are good. In hindsight, the Mariah Sanford broadcast, which aired in 1972, adhered to the writing style and production realities that Gerling first advised Cairns to follow. In a note to a producer affixed to the top of the Mariah Sanford script, Karn stated, One actor should be able to take two or three of the parts, since they don't occur in the same scene, and most are small parts. If you don't have actors capable of such versatility, any of the speeches of the relatives, Philbrick, superintendent, doctor, or former student, may be incorporated into the narration. After reading a draft script for the Mariah episode, Betty wrote to Michelle, Michelle, I think the script on Mariah S. is fine, but we need a good punch somewhere near the end about her being, was she the first woman teacher at the university? Rather, I think she was the first full professor who was a woman. Was she ever chairman of the English department? And of course, Sanford Hall was named for her as a woman's dorm. This is one university-connected women were citing, so can you play it up just a bit? Omit or utilize anything I may have written on the margins in reading it. The draft of the script, with what Betty may have written on the margins, was not included with the note. However, in Michelle's reply, she rejected a change Betty suggested in reference to Mariah's experience with the American Indian community. Michelle wrote, I changed the ending of the Mariah Sanford script to include a mention of Sanford Hall and her status as first woman professor but I disagree with the beginning. To say something like, a woman, alone, going into Indian lands, would seem to me to imply women are suspected of being less self-sufficient than men. 
I thought we were working against that in this series. We should assume respect for a woman as a human being capable of human endeavors. Touche, Michelle. Recordings of the program series People Worth Hearing About are available in the UMedia archive and are listed in the finding aid for the radio and television broadcasting records under the series title in the section for the Minnesota School of the Air. To learn more about Mariah Sanford, consult the Mariah Sanford papers at University Archives or read a biography about Mariah published in 1922, which is available online at the Hathi Trust. Take it from me, it's worth it. If you would like to hear more about women in the archives, join us at Elmer L. Anderson Library for the second program in the first Friday season on November 2nd, 2018 at 12 o'clock p.m. Presented by the Upper Midwest Jewish Archives and the Coutts Family YMCA Archives. Light refreshments will be served prior to the program, and a tour of Anderson Storage Caverns and Research Center will begin after the presentations. The full First Friday schedule and descriptions of upcoming programs can be found at the website z.umn.edu ff18. The U of M Radio on Your Historic Dial podcast is produced by University Archives and Libraries Communications for your enjoyment. Subscribe or download on iTunes or Google Play so you don't miss another moment of historic Minnesota radio. Recordings were digitized in 2016, in part with funds provided by the state of Minnesota from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund through the Minnesota Historical Society.